0: here on ESPN, plus episode 241 of this fine program on what is Monday, April 24th, 2023. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, what are you wearing? Not on your body, on your face, brother. You don't like it? I love it, actually. I I've gotten it. quite, a, quite like, honestly, mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know how people would receive it. My daughter, Gigi, wanted to change it up. I wanted to get rid of the beard. It's getting hot here in L.A., especially in the South Bay, went for the stash. He loves it. But people have been pretty receptive to it, so I think I'm going to keep it for a while. Uh, what are you wearing? Is that Amish, that Sevilla track jacket to producer Beto, who I spoke to today,
0: who's in Sevilla? No way, really. I know he's on his on his Euro trip. I'm, I'm sure enjoying it. This is a, a, an old school, I think, 95 Sevilla piece. And then, of course, shout out to uh, to Miami. we got the, the USL That's love. That's right. Of course. All right, so we got lots to get to on this show. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to hear from Jeff Carlisle. He's going to f- fill us in on all the latest with U.S. soccer. Big news there in terms of who's going to be running the federation, or at least, Herc, its sporting side. Speaking of USL, Tab Ramos is going to join us live here in just a little bit. He's in charge of Hartford Athletic and USL Championship. US We've got some legend. big managerial names, Herc, that have been linked to Major League Soccer, so we'll talk about that, as well as a... Crazy weekend in Liga MX. Stop me if you've heard that before. We're heading towards Ligia. And we've got a, uh, a big weekend to recap in the National Women's Soccer League as well. Some national teamers heating up at just the right time as the World Cup looms. But let's start with the news that broke this weekend, Herc. U.S. Soccer set to announce a new sporting director to replace Ernie Stewart, the athletic first to report it. It will be Matt Crocker, currently the director of football operations at Southampton in the Premier League. Prior to that, he was with the English FA in their development category. U.S. Soccer confirming in an announcement earlier today that there'll be a press conference tomorrow to introduce the new sporting director. For more on this, let's welcome into the program our good friend and colleague Jeff Carlisle. You can read from him on this very topic over on the website ESPN.com. Jeff, I guess let's start with the obvious question. Who is Matt Crocker? What more can you tell us
2: about him? Well, I think he's an individual that, that checks a lot of boxes when you look at his resume and when you look at what the USSF really wanted from this position. I mean, this is a guy with extensive academy experience. Um extensive youth national team experience. I mean, the academy experience was with Southampton primarily. Um, You know, he also did some work with the English FA, you know, working with their youth national teams, uh, working in coaching education, player pathway, you know, all of that stuff. And then his most recent position was director of football operations with Southampton, and that included putting together a training curriculum that players in the academy could follow throughout their entire time with the club hopefully all the way to the first team so uh, and when you think about the fact that the U.S. Soccer Federation has kind of reduced the remit a little bit but this person <laughs> Matt Crocker is going to be in charge of 27 different national teams from the the men's and women's senior teams all the way down to to the youth level so when you look at his experience I think at academy level and working at for a federation I think he just Like I said, ticked a lot of boxes. He he fit a lot of the requirements that the U.S. Soccer Federation was looking for.
1: Jeff, let's talk about the actual process of hiring Matt Crocker. How did it differ from maybe the last time out with Ernie Stewart, whereas Jay Berhalter and U.S. Soccer uh, going out for Ernie Stewart? How was that different, this process, from last?
2: Well, I think this process was much more expansive and and cast a wider net. Uh, You know, from the very beginning, uh, the USSF CEO JT Batson and, and the president Cindy Parlow cohn brought in Sportsology, which was is a, a sports consulting firm, to kind of, I think, kind of come up with a, a short list of, of possible candidates that were outside of the, the regular U.S. soccer ecosystem, if you will. So, you know, obviously Matt Crocker is a guy who comes from Europe, so I think you can see Sportsology's fingerprints on, on the search. Uh, and then internally, it was a kind of a, a select number of, of USSF board members, but it also included some outsiders as well. Uh, LAFC co-president John Thorrington was involved. I'm told that Washington Spirit GM Mark Corian was also part of it to kind of provide some perspective on the on the women's soccer side. Um, and that's another thing that I, I failed to mention before. Matt Crocker had also worked with the women's team at Southampton. So again, that was another box that kind of got got checked. And so. Uh, But, you know, getting back to the process, I do think it was, uh, you know, they looked a lot further afield than than they did the last time when they got Ernie Stewart, who was already with the Philadelphia Union, and a known quantity from his time with the U.S. men's national team. So, again, I think, uh, you know, they they looked at the candidates, a, a wider variety, a wider range of candidates than they did previously.
0: All right, Jeff, you know how we are on this show. When things go wrong... We like to blame (laughs) folks, but when things go right, we like to give credit as well. So uh, at the end of the day, who's responsible or who do you feel is most responsible for this hire? Because we've known in the Federation in the past, the board of directors can play a a huge role, but we now also have a new CEO. We have a president. Um, There's a lot of important people there, but who do you really feel is kind of responsible at the
2: end of the day for this hire? I look at JT Batson and Cindy Parlo Cohn, the the CEO and the president of the USSF respectively. you know they they've been kind of driving this process you know they they were the ones that decided who on the board would be included in the process it wasn't the entire board to be clear okay. You know it definitely was a subset and also you know their decision to to bring in a couple of outsiders in Thorington and krikorian so uh this was their show and and, and you know they, they were the ones that decided who was going to be involved and also not be involved i mean they, they i think they really tried to keep things close to the vest throughout the entire process there weren't a whole lot of names that popped up over the course of the, of the search. Um, you heard about people who had been interviewed and then maybe turned it down and decided that they didn't want the job. But in terms of actual candidates, not very many of them leaked out, uh, and it was only Matt Crocker, kind of at the last second, that, that you know when his name emerged. So um, again, I you know I think it, this is a this is a decision made by by J T. Batson and Cindy Parlo Cohn, and um, you know now they'll move on to. Hiring the manager for the U.S. men's national team.
1: See, Sepp, I'm really glad that Jeff's here. Uh, A lot of people have this misconception that this is a job, a a role that's catered only made for the U.S. men's national team. There's much Mm -hmm. more responsibility to Matt Crocker's role. Talk about those responsibilities, Jeff, and maybe how it differs from Ernie Stewart and what he was responsible for in the last regime.
2: Well, Ernie Stewart had a massive remit. I mean, in, in addition to being in charge of all the, the national teams, senior teams, youth teams, uh, you know, Paralympic teams. Um, you know, he was also in charge of coaching education. He was in charge of referees. Uh, you know, he was in charge of the amateur game at both the adult and youth levels. Um, know the youth and adult amateur levels, I should say. And so that is an incredible amount of work for several people, let alone one person. So, You know, I think part of what Sportsology's influence here was, you know, I think their recommendation was to kind of pare down what the responsibilities of the sporting director were and really just have them focus on the the various national teams. Um, Granted, it's men's, it's women's, um, it's the extended national teams. But uh, even that, I think, is a lot of work. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility to, you know, to work on in your day-to-day. But um, again, the, the position was slimmed down a bit. And so I think that's a, that's a big change from the last time.
0: Jeff, obviously the most pressing responsibility, the most urgent responsibility right now is is deciding who's going to be the next manager of the U.S. men's national team. Is that going to be Crocker's decision or will there be other people involved?
2: I think Crocker will be driving that decision. I think he's the one who's going to be primarily leading the search. but. This decision is not going to be made in a vacuum. Um, you know, again, I think Batson and Cindy Parlocone are both going to be heavily involved. Um, it's it's really their decision at the end of the day. I mean, they're they're the ones at the top of the of the organizational you know ladder, if you will. And so, certainly, they have hired Matt Crocker to drive this search to to kind of spearhead it. But uh, they're going to be involved as well. And I imagine, like before, you know, some of the board members will offer up their help. Uh, in terms of coming up with candidates, um, you know, this is he's, you know Matt Crocker's walking into a, a different kind of situation, a different kind of culture. He's always worked in England. Um, he brings a lot of experience and, and relevant expertise, I think. But it, it's a new environment for him, so I think I think he's going to need some help from the people on the board and, and in the, you know, in the USSF itself. You know, the, the support staff. He's going to need help from them in, in terms of you know hitting the ground running and, and getting up to speed on things.
1: All right. How does this hiring? How does the hiring of Matt Crocker impact the timing of this next U.S. Men's National Team? The full, full job. Will we be able to see something? I don't know. CONCAF Nations League semifinal, uh, Gold Cup. Will Anthony Hudson have the summer to work with? What's going on here, Jeff?
2: Well, certainly it speeds up the timeline because I can remember back when Ernie Stewart left. You know, Cindy Parlow Cone was saying, "Well, we hope to have." a new manager in place by September. I think that everyone was kind of taken aback by that because not only is that a long time to be without a permanent head coach, but you think in September, a lot of the best candidates are already gonna be snapped up by, you know, whatever coach, you know, whoever's available. So um, I think this is, this gives me a little bit more comfort just in terms of the timeline, because now it looks like by summer, I would say midsummer, it's possible for this decision to be made. I mean, again, it, it depends on on how wide a net they cast. I'm sure that they've got a list of candidates already sussed out, and then it's just a question of getting Matt Crocker up to speed and, and getting his input on, on who he thinks would be, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. ideal person to lead the U.S. men's national team forward. I mean, obviously, this is a huge period in the program's history, given that the U.S. and Canada and Mexico are co-hosting the next World Cup. So this is a big decision. And, um, you know, I think it will be important to get this person hired as quickly as possible i mean obviously it's the old cliche you want to make the right decision you don't want to necessarily make the fastest decision but i think this speeds up the timeline considerably and it wouldn't surprise me uh, to see a, co- a manager in place by the june or july timeframe. we mentioned it right off the
0: top matt crocker's last job southampton we know jesse marsh interviewed and was very close to for the Southampton job earlier this season. People are connecting the dots, Jeff. They're saying Jesse Marsh is now, uh, if not a shoe, and at least a favorite for the job.
2: Do you think there's a correlation there? I do. I I think uh, it it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, the the two individuals know each other. um, And and Crocker was involved in the process. You know, obviously, he wasn't the ultimate decision maker, but, um, you know, it, it creates some familiarity there. and. Listen, Jesse Marsh is available, and he's got uh, he's got a career that has taken him to Europe and, and caused him to to take some paths that a lot of other American coaches haven't. So I think that that makes him unique in that regard. Now I think the big question is how much money does the USSF really have to spend? Um, I think you know a lot of names have been thrown out there. You know Jose Mourinho. I mean, you're getting into some serious. Serious amounts of money, you know, more than $10 million it would cost to pry him away. Um, JT Batson and, and Cindy Parlocone have said that there's, there's no restrictions uh, on the amount of money. Now, <laughs> obviously, they don't want to go too crazy. I mean, they want to be efficient with the money that they have. Um, but they're basically saying that money is no object. I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how much that plays a, a role in, in who they select. But I've got to believe that Jesse Marsh is the front runner. Um, again, cause he's available and he's, he's had some, some tough experiences. He's had some, some good experiences at other places. Uh, and so, you know, I think also given his history, you know, he started out coaching with the U S men's national team under Bob Bradley as an assistant. So, uh, he's, he's a familiar face, a familiar name to a lot of people at U S soccer. Um, but I would hope that they again, cast a wide net and, and see what they can get. Um, but it, you know, I think Jesse Marsh, just like Matt Crocker checked a lot of boxes, I think Jesse Marsh checks a lot of boxes, too.
1: Wait a second, Jeff. You're trying to tell me U.S. soccer that's been sued by their own women, sued <laughs> by their own foundation, is telling you that money is not an object and they could potentially spend upwards of 5 to $10 million on a coach?
2: Well, they didn't quote those numbers. Um, but. JT Batson um, and Cindy Parlacone were, were quite clear saying that there were no restrictions. I think it was JT Batson who said a lot of things can change uh, in terms of their, their budget projections from quarter to quarter. And so if they bring in a big name, I would suspect that that would change the landscape in terms of sponsorships and, and other financial support that they could get. So um, granted, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I mean, again, we'll, we'll see what names emerge and, and who gets interviewed. Um, I'm just telling you what what the the top people at the U.S. Soccer Federation are saying.
0: Money is no object. It's like the budget here on Football Américas. Money is no object. Uh, I like it. There he is, Jeff Carlisle. There's a press conference tomorrow. He'll be all over it, so you can read more from Jeff uh, over at ESPN.com. Jeff, as always, thanks for the time. Great to have you here on the show.
2: Anytime, guys. Thanks, Jeff.
0: Great stuff from Jeff Carlisle, our colleague over at ESPN.com. Let's run it back. We'll start with some U.S. guys, and then we'll go north. I, I thought we weren't going to get the Mark McKenzie goal because it was bad video. Mark McKenzie did get a goal in Belgium, Herc. Here it is. Hey, wait, wait. Get, get, let me get this straight.
1: Not only is this the first goal of the season, it's the first goal with Genk. I don't think he's ever scored with Genk. This is literally the first time he scored there?
0: Correct. And they are in first place uh, despite the uh, 2-2 draw there with Charleroi on Sunday. How about this assist from Alan Sonyora? Very important assist, uh, tie game for my TSG, my
1: TSG, toluca San germain Ridiculous ball, what a week. Uh, comes off the bench, does his uh, stuff against Mexico in Arizona, provides play that leads to the goal for Jesus Ferreira. Now another assist.
0: Alan Sonora with the assist for Bravos. Tanner Tesman with an assist for Venezia against Ternana in Serie B in Italy. Okay, he had a goal last week. He's got a goal,
1: or excuse me, an assist this week. Tanner Tessman is slowly but surely putting one of the better
0: campaigns for a player in lower divisions in Europe. Shout out, Tanner Tessman. A one-time guest on Football America. Chump chat, let's go. Uh, Jonathan David with a goal, his 21st of the season for Lille. Let me uh,
1: give you the list of names of players who have more goal contributions than League 1. Uh, Number one, Leo Messi. Number two, killing Mbappe. That's it.
3: Nobody else.
0: Leo right now fifth uh, headed to the Europa Conference League as it stands in the French table. More Canadian men's national team news, not of the good kind. Alfonso Davies injured on Saturday as Bayern lost 3-1 against Mainz. He was subbed off nine minutes in after a muscular injury. The club is calling it a, quote, muscle bundle injury. Uh, he's likely to miss the rest of the Bayern season. That's five games. Canada, of course, will hope he's healthy for the Nations League in mid-June, now less than two months away. Alfonso Davies out for four to six weeks. To the story of the weekend, seemingly uh, everywhere, certainly in America. Wrexham, Wrexham FC, owned by actors Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, are officially going up after a 3-1 win over Boreham Wood on Saturday. Wrexham clinching promotion with one game to go. They're back in the Football League for the first time in 15 years headed to League Two, of course the fourth tier of the English Football Pyramid. Wrexham are going up, cue the celebrations. Ryan and Rob, how would you sum up that experience tonight? I, I don't, I'm not sure I can actually process what happened uh, tonight. I'm, I'm still a little speechless. I know that the one thing that's running through my head over and over again is people said at the beginning, why Wrexham, why Wrexham? This is exactly why Wrexham. What's happening right now is why. You've put so much into this project. How does, it, how does it feel when it finally feels like it's paying
4: off? Well, I think we can hear how it feels to the town, and that's what's most important to us. I think this is a moment of catharsis for them and celebration, and for us to be welcomed into their community and to be welcomed into this experience has been the honor of my life.
0: Okay, Herc, Wrexham getting more and more popular. Is there a risk he could overtake Major League Soccer here in the States? Why are you the way you are? Fair question.
1: It's not that it's a risk that could overtake Major League, Major League Soccer, excuse me. I understand why you're asking the question. Mm-hmm. It's insanely popular. It's, it's popular with uh, soccer fans, it's popular with some MLS fans, it's popular with casuals who aren't even fans of the sport, mm-hmm. but it's why is it popular, Seb? It's a great story that's being told by great storytellers. Mm-hmm. It's not that just that they're celebrities and they invested money and this great story being told by celebrities, storytellers, at the center of all this is this pro-rel, promotion relegation. There's risk involved. There's something actually at stake. You win, you go up. You don't, you stay. And if you stay, that could be the end of, of your town. That, that means more money, more infrastructure, you know, more opportunities in, in the workforce, et cetera, et cetera, for this town. There, there's actual skin in the game, and they tell this story in a compelling way. And there's a platform for it. Where it goes to the masses. So I see why you're asking the question. Mm -hmm. But a singular team to overtake a whole league, it's a little much. And what I mean by that is is you're taking the top tier of one league, right? Mm -hmm. Wrexham.
0: That's as good as it gets Mm -hmm. in in their league. I'm not talking about the National League. No, I'm just talking about Wrexham. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, you're talking about Major League Soccer. So if you're trying to say it's going to be more popular than the history that Major League Soccer already has or or LAFC and the great story that's been in you know, the last couple of years. Or Let me oh, ask you this. Let me ask you. Story, you mentioned LAFC. Agree.
0: That's a perfect one. You mentioned LAFC. What do you think was, was more popular in Los Angeles this weekend, LAFC or Wrexham? Uh, well. Because I would say in Portland, I think the Timbers still ahead of Wrexham. In Seattle, Sounders still ahead of Wrexham. In a lot of other cities, I bet you Wrexham is cutting through right now more than the MLS team.
1: Yeah, it's a little unfair because they've got more of a platform. Um, And I say that with all due respect, you know, Apple's and No, I say that with all due respect. Season Pass, I don't know how many people actually have Mm -hmm. Season Pass compared to how many people have Hulu or have, you know, uh, whatever other platform you can find it on, Disney+, Plus, etc., you know, ESPN+. Plus. There's just more more avenues of seeing Wrexham Mm -hmm. um, than than maybe today of Major League Soccer. But I don't necessarily think that makes it more valuable or, or more popular. I don't know where you're trying to go with this, Sub. And, and listen, they're doing a great thing at Wrexham. Rob and, and and Ryan Reynolds are telling a great story. They've got people invested in a place they've never been to, somewhere they've never even heard of, a team they didn't even know existed. It's a great story, but it's only a great story because of the storytelling, because of what it revolves around, which is uh, pro-rel, and and people are gonna say it doesn't have to be pro-rel. Well, the story doesn't exist without pro-rel. You're not gonna get people invested on something where they're just gonna stay there. There's no skin, and they may be able to win a trophy, but they're not gonna, they wouldn't have the opportunity to have this investment from these celebrity owners if there wasn't this uh, opportunity to be promoted.
0: Right. Popular might not be the right word. Hotter property is definitely Wrexham right now, the hotter property, the one that's driving more interest in this moment. And there's plenty of ways, there's plenty of evidence that we could talk about that that I think most of it is not really like obvious evidence. It's, It's things that you see on websites, right? Like we talked about Mark Ogden coming on the show the other week. Suddenly it's a guy who used to cover Manchester United and Manchester City covering Wrexham. But what I think is is more evident of just how popular this thing is is not the sports outlets that are covering it. You're seeing People Magazine write articles about this. You're seeing CNN write articles about this. And that's where I see popularity that MLS honestly, Herc, has not almost ever touched in its existence. Maybe when David Beckham came, and maybe when Freddie Adu was at the very beginning, when MLS truly crossed over, and and people who knew nothing about, forget MLS, soccer were asking you about the league. Like, people who know nothing about soccer are asking me about Wrexham. And that's where I think there's a huge difference between the two leagues. Right now, MLS does does not in any way attract a, a mainstream casual sports fan, let alone somebody who's beyond the sports bubble, which is what Wrexham is now bringing in.
1: Yeah, it's a fair assessment. You could also argue um, it's just driving attention because they like the story. They like to be entertained, and it's, mm-hmm. it's much more than a weekend scoreline. It's an actual story, so they've got that over an actual game product.
0: There we go. So, Rexham moving up to League Two, Herc. League Two. We'll League have to Two. see if we uh, if we get those rights on ESPN Plus. You know what we have on ESPN Plus? We've got La Liga, Real Madrid, and Girona. Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, ten thirty a.m. out on the West Coast. La Liga, of course, live all season long, right here on ESPN Plus.
4: Solo artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here, and guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app. To play the number one bracket game, presented by Allstate.
0: All right, time to welcome into the show, Tab Ramos. That's right. Uh, of course, uh, you all know him from his playing career, three World Cups with the U.S. Men's National Team. Now in charge of Hartford Athletic, USL Championship. Let's ask him the obvious question off the conversation we were just having. Um, are you watching? Are you watching? We are Rexham. Are you one of the men, the many, the millions?
5: I'm watching. I'm watching. It's exciting. You know, it's nice to see somebody like uh, Ryan Reynolds get a little taste of what, you know, what w- the feeling is that people have overseas for their teams, and and a feeling that people in this country are still a little bit far away from, but that that we're hoping they're getting to. Welcome to Rex and welcome to Rex. So we can Rexham I ask Tab
1: something before we start? Who's got mm-hmm. a better mustache, a Richard, Richard Sanchez or 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 me? <laughs>
5: Well, I can't go against Richard. I tell you, this is, this is uh, this guy is number one. No question. You know, your your mustache looks a lot better because you get a new jersey every day, you know, wearing the USL. He has to wear the same stuff every day. All
0: right, so um, as we were mentioning, I think, you know, Tab, a lot of people, maybe they know that, that you're in the USL managing now. Everybody knows about your playing career from your time with the national team. What I think, you know people even those who watch this show might not know uh, it's kind of about your club career because it happened at a time when there wasn't a show like this right there wasn't people talking so much about what americans were doing abroad very specifically i'm interested in your time at tigres because hercules gomez thinks he's the one that made tigres cool for americans i want people to know <laughs> tabaret did it first tab tell us about your time at tigres
5: no i tell you i was you know i was very fortunate actually um that when i went to tigris i went from another great club in betis because betis has amazing fans uh there's some of the best fans in spain uh they're very loyal very dedicated to their club and then and then to go from there to tigris and realize that tigris is is a little bit at a different level it's you know the fans love you there no matter what uh, the fans are always with you. The fans are always at every game, win or lose. I tell you, Tigres fans, it's hard. It, you know, its they're hard to equal.
1: Tab, let me ask you a question. I, I sometimes think of this, and, and I'm a little far removed from the sport, uh, playing-wise, but I look at today's talent, the U.S. men's national team crop today, and how maybe they're not even on the U.S. men's national team. They're barely on their radar, but they have a good season or two, and all of a sudden, They're in Europe. They're there. And they have all the hype. They've got all the attention. They've got all, you know, if you will, sponsorship dollars, something that maybe in the 90s you guys didn't have. You were the pioneers. Do you ever think like, you know, in my day, some of these players and I I don't want to sit here, get off my lawn type. But these players were even better, but didn't have that platform. Like, what, What is your perception of today's generation versus yours back then?
5: No, I mean, it's it's hard to say because I think the generation that we have today is extremely talented, you know, and it's hard to compare players of the past to players today. You know, of course, you know, maybe had the older players gotten the same type of training, the same type of nutrition, the same type of fields, you know, the same type of environment to train in that, that the players now have, uh, maybe players in the past would have even been better but you know I think it's unfair to compare you know it's different times I think you know I'm very fortunate to have come from a generation of players who had a very strong personality and who never took no for an answer and who never thought another team was bigger than us and fought against everybody regardless trying to win the game and I think there's a lot to say for that uh, but it's not comparable to today's player today's player is a lot different. Man, look at those pictures. Look at those uniforms.
0: That's some that's some flashback. I love it. We got uh, got the 1990 There's some mud World on Cup
5: picture. There. There's mud on the uniforms sometimes. Something we don't see anymore.
0: <laughs> uh, speak, speaking of World Cups, Tab, of course, I'm sure you're watching the U.S. this past winter uh, in Qatar. I'm curious just what you thought of the performance from the U.S. team on the field and then your perspective because you've got a unique one on everything that happened after the World Cup. We know that the Reina's the Berhalters are from New Jersey. You're from New Jersey. So just kind of your reaction to what happened to the team both at the tournament and then after.
5: Well at the tournament I thought it was uh, it was in general an average performance. You know this is the type of performance that we have seen really pretty much for the last 30 years. We end up kind of in the same place. Um, I think the team played much better than 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 teams of the past. Um, you know, I think the 2014 team was a very good team. Um, you know, I think obviously, you know, the, the 1998 team failed, but it was a very good roster. Um, so there's been some good teams in the past. I don't want to skip over any other teams and make any teams, um, better than any of the teams before. But I think this was the most talented team. This was the best team. Um, and with this was the team that had the best players, and I think we sort of ended up in the same spot, and I think we need to do better.
1: Tab, I agree with you. This, this is the best team, especially on paper. This is the golden generation. So what would you look for in the next manager to get the best out of this current generation, the best generation that U.S. soccer has had, U.S. men's national team has had? What should the attributes of the next coach be like?
5: Well, I think we need somebody certainly with experience overseas, someone who has been in the international game for for a little while and someone who can kind of take us to the same level because I think we we have to be at that point where we count on the all-American, let's go fight and win this game. I think we have that. I, you know, knowing a lot of these players personally and and a lot of these players played for me, I I know that they have that. And I think I think tactically we have to improve a little bit. Tactically we have to improve a little bit. Uh, we have to get a little bit better. Not that you know Burholder didn't do a good job. He did a good job as well. But I think I think it's time to take it to the next level. I think I think we need more because honestly, I think it's the first time that we have players who can who can take more.
1: Except real quick, you said tactically they have to improve more. What did you mean by tactically? What did you see that they have to improve?
5: Well, I think I, you know when you watched our, our you know the World Cup, and obviously I was there. Um, you know, and and I saw the games live. Uh, You know, tactically, we sort of did the same thing game after game after game. You know, what changed at times was you know, did did McKinney come out of midfield to cover an outside back from the right side, or or did Musa come out and cover the outside back on that side? Uh, you know, did did Weah come inside to pressure? There were little there were little things that we did, but I thought I thought tactically we were we were outplayed in the in the Netherlands game. That that hurt a little bit because I I thought we'd do better in that game. Of course, Netherlands is a is a great national team, but. But I think that they, they, they outplayed us a little bit. I think we we might have been better off waiting for them a little bit and allowing them to play and encountering them with the speed that we had. But, you know, it's easy to be a coach when you're not there, of course. Um, you know, we all can be coaches when you're not coaching the team. Um, but, you know, those are the little things that I think going into the next World Cup, we need to do better. Mm. Tab, let's talk about your current gig, Hartford, athletic
0: so obviously you mentioned you spent a lot of time with u.s soccer federations the youth national teams then you go to the houston dynamo we've seen usl just grow and grow and grow over the years i wonder kind of what went into your decision to take a, a head coaching job at the usl championship level specifically here with hartford
5: Yeah. Well, you know, obviously I went to Houston. Things didn't work out. You know, whatever reasons I could come up with my reasons, but that doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is results. And and we didn't get results in Houston. I'm very happy to be here. You know, I, I started to think about things my father said, you know, what. What would I do? So because I coached at the national team level for a long time or I was successful with the under 20s for a long time, I went to Houston and and I failed. So now do I sit at home and only wait for for an MLS job because I deserve it? That call is just never going to come. I think what I needed to do was I needed to roll up my sleeves and continue to work. Uh, there's no shame in me coming to the USL. I'm very happy here. Um, I continue to learn as a coach as players do overseas there's many there's many great players overseas who have to go and coach in second and third and fourth division uh, to continue to learn and and I'm really happy here I think you know we we have a city here that's excited about their team um, obviously we're a humble USL team but but we're trying to win all our games we're trying to play the right way we're trying to be proactive and and I'm you know I'm happy to be here USL is uh is really coming along. There's some clubs that are really doing things right.
1: Big respect for saying that you failed in Houston. Most coaches would, would make excuses, so that's, that's massive. Uh, let me ask you about this Open Cup game. Third round, it's the New England Revolution. Uh, first off, Bruce Arena. It's a guy that you've played for. Now you're going to go up against a legendary coach in Bruce Arena. What would it mean to you and Hartford to pull off a cup set, and can you pull off the cup set?
5: Yeah, I mean, can we do it? Yeah, of course we can. You know, we've seen things. I've lived them on both sides. I've been upset before by by, by smaller teams and, and I've been on teams that upset, you know, great teams. And in particular with Betis winning at Barcelona and knocking off the that great dream team that, that Barcelona had. So I, I've lived good moments. I've lived really bad moments in the cup, but this is the fun of it. As far as Bruce is concerned, I haven't really thought about Bruce because I speak with him sometimes uh, you know, I love Bruce. Bruce is a, is you know, is one of the people that kind of put us on the map, and uh, and I always, I'm always wishing the best for him. And and tomorrow, yeah, can we win the game? Of course, we're gonna give it our best shot. Our players are excited uh, to play probably what is this year, if not the best, one of the best teams in MLS, and uh, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah. I love the Open Cup. Anybody who's watched the show knows I absolutely love the
0: Open Cup because we actually get to see. Tab, we get to see MLS against USL Championship, against USL League One, against NISA. We get to see kind of everybody faced off. Um, We were just talking about Wrexham, and obviously the the big interest around that team, or a lot of the interest in that storyline, is is promotion and relegation. You've been in MLS. um, Now you're in the second tier. I know the economics is difficult to figure out. I'm not going to ask you about that. But from a, a football standpoint, a soccer standpoint... Do you think promotion relegation in the United States would help the game.
5: It could potentially help the game. Uh, I think it'll make it would make the game more exciting. It certainly makes it it certainly makes ownership and fan base be a little bit more on their toes the whole year regardless of where you are in the league. So I'll give you an example. For example. I I don't know. I don't know how much time we have. but I'll give you an example. When I'm in Houston. You know when I'm in Houston for example the team was sold sort of towards the beginning between the beginning and the middle of our season and it's kind of like new ownership comes in and now they're already thinking about the year after so there's no real investment going on during that year because you're already thinking oh you know when we come in at the end of the year this is gonna happen and I think had we' been in a relegation battle that completely changes I mean you you can't just take six months off you have to keep playing and uh, and I think and I think you know that type of That type of environment where you're either at the top of the table fighting for something or if you lose three games in a row now you're at the bottom of the table but it's not just being at the top at the bottom of the table now you're you're in jeopardy of losing a big investment in your club by being in the top division. I I think it would bring more excitement but you know. Listen, at the end of the day, we all we all know how sort of how MLS is put together. And and from my end, I know what it's like to try to sell soccer in this country. And I've lived it throughout. And I and I'm always rooting for it. And and MLS was put together likely in the only way it could have been put together for us to have soccer today. And, and because of that, I have to be supportive of that, because that's that's sort of how we have what we have and this is why we can have the conversations that we can have because some people got around the table and said hey you know what this is the way that we have to do it this is the only way that it can work uh and, and you know what it's working
0: all right there he is tab ramos of hartford athletic uh, of course you got the open cup this week but everybody knows usl is on espn plus so we got tab this weekend as well there on the go. network Uh, taking on Birmingham Legion. So, Tab, great to have you with us here on Football Américas. Thanks for the time, and uh, good luck against the New England Revolution, and good luck in league play as well. Thanks, Tab. Thank thank you for having me on. Thanks a lot. There he is, Tabaré Ramos. Uh, Excellent, excellent player back in his day. uh, Now in the technical area with Hartford Athletic. You can catch them Sunday in league play against Birmingham Legion. Fighting Juan Agudelos there live on ESPN. Juan Agudelos alright. Yes, yeah. You gotta be watching your USL.
2: Come on, her.
0: Liga MX, Rayados Mazatlán on Friday. Maxi Mesa with the early goal for Rayados. Uh, That's a mess of a play right there. What are you doing, Vicunis? What's going on there, Maxi Mesa? He doesn't need that help. Into the second half, Ponchito González, guilty. Penalty for Nico Benedetti. Oh, bar down, and not the good kind of bar down. One of the better
1: players for Mazatlán, and then what are we doing here? Across the face of goal,
0: Aguirre with the easy tap in, it's just too easy for a team like Monterrey, Seb. Eric Aguirre there in the 88th minute for the uh, 2-0 win for Rayados who clinched the top seed as we head towards Liguilla. Saturday night, Pumas, America pick this one up in the second half, 0-0 Pumas corner. This one's gonna rattle home off of Nestor Araujo.
1: Yeah, it should have been. The neno went off of his hip. Malagon with the ridiculous save. And look at this. Look at this.
0: Araco, what are you doing? You're supposed to defend that goal. So Pumas up 1 0, but three minutes later, Caceres hacked down in the box. We're going to the spot. Henry Martin, 11th of the season. No, no, 14th of the season. Don't 14, take goals from me. that guy. 14, 14th of the season. I can't read my own hand right yeah, What do you think finishes... of the celebration, Abby? One-one. I like all of Henry's celebrations because it gives us stuff to talk about here on uh, on Football America. It's not not quite as good as the uh, as the Chivas celebration. All right, Herc. After a big weekend in Liga MX, which of the following is more likely? Will Rayados break the so-called curse of the Superleader, the team with the most points in the regular season, or will Pumas go on a surprise league run?
1: All right, so there's this curse, right? Team that mm-hmm. wins the regular season, mm-hmm. they go on to crack not the win bed the league title in, right. in, in playoffs. Uh, I'm going to go with Pumas actually making a run because a run for them would be like what? Potentially going past quarterfinals, making a semifinal with Turco Mohamed. Mm-hmm. I may be able to see that. Let me start on really quickly, Monterrey. Like, Monterrey's coming down. I know it's Mazatlán they just beat, but it's Mazatlán. They're supposed to beat Mazatlán. Since they lost to your Club America, this is a team that's been struggling. They lose to Santos last week, and Santos, who's terrible terrible this season. I don't know what, they just fired their coach today, by the way. Uh, Monterrey right now, Rey Midas, the head coach that Victor Manuel Sotich, it's slipping, but you look at Pumas, Turco Mohamed, they've been able to take points away from Club America, and Toluca, my TSAJ, my TSG, my champions, my pick for champions this season. And guess who are they going to play against this week, the last week of the season? Monterrey! Mm. At home in Monterrey! If they could take points away from Monterrey, that's three of the top four teams in the league, heading into now Repechaje, a team that's red hot, who's scoring goals, who seems to be motivated by Turko Mohamed, who's been there, done that, and this set of players, this same set of players is the same team that went on two separate runs in the last, what? Yeah. Two years. Yep. A, a final versus Leon and a CONCACAF Champions League final versus the Seattle Sounders. Say what you will, but muscle memory can't kick in, and Turko Mohamed has something about him right now.
0: Yep. Nope. CONCACAF Champions League last year and the Liga MX final back in 2020. So, yes, uh, they have some history. They did that under Andres Lilina. I think you would probably say Turco Mohamed, a better Absolutely. manager than Lilini. So, so this team clearly has that. I, I love this because it's really validating. I don't know if you remember, my bold prediction this year was that Pumas would finish top four. They're going to...
1: They're not close to
0: top <laughs> They're four. They're not going to finish top four, but now you're saying they have a shot to make the semifinals. Now, uh, all that's happened since then is the manager who was in charge when I made that prediction has been fired. But still, uh, I'm glad that at least in some small way, Herc, I've been vindicated here for my bold Remember prediction. Remember my
1: bold prediction.
0: <laughs> what, what was it? it? Wasn't
1: it Monterrey would fail?
0: It may well have been, but I don't ever know if that's an actual prediction or just you with your Tigres ways.
1: There's no tigress ways. Mm-hmm. Come
0: on. All right. Uh, No, Danny Alves, no problem for Pumas, huh? Uh, Another lesson in addition by subtraction, right? Uh, Clearly a a team that has gotten better with that player absent. All right, in case you missed it, Herc, more from Liga MX. A game that really drew no interest for what happened on the field. Leon and Cholos played to a 0-0 on Friday in Tijuana. The story, though, is what happened after the game. Fans of both teams brawling violently outside Estadio Caliente. You're seeing some of the video there. The initial reports, five injured, one serious, though reportedly the serious injury not life-threatening. Liga Mekis in a statement saying that they condemn what took place and asking authorities to, quote, find those responsible. Herc, it's another ugly incident at a Liga Mekis game. What do you think should be done?
1: I don't know what can be done. We talk about fan ID. They've not even made it past the gate. Mm. They're, they're not even in a area where you can... Do the fan ID. Um, you saw little security, and the security you did see in that footage did nothing about it. They're they're overwhelmed. And, and it's sad because the scenes that we constantly see that go around the world when it comes to Liga MX sometimes aren't positive. Most of the times aren't positive. And again, we're talking about fan violence in the Liga MX games. And there's a saying in Mexico. Somos más los buenos. There are more of us good people. That is true. The good people in Mexico, that is true. But they want their country back.
0: Mm.
1: They want their game back. And I see a lot of discourse online, a lot of whataboutism. Well, what about this that happens in the U.S.? What about this that happens in a sporting event? They don't care. The good people in Mexico do not care. They want... Theirs back. Their country, their game. So they can care less if you feel identified with how it's going to make you a Chicano or you a Mexican living in the States feel about how others will perceive Mexico, Mexican football, etc. They want their game back. They want their country back. This is becoming prevalent and they're tired of it. And I'm tired of seeing this. Yeah. I don't know what could be done. Yeah. It, it,
0: it, It transcends sport. Yeah, and to your point about image, it's not the first time, right? We we just celebrated Queretaro returning to their stadium a year after what happened, uh, and actually at the game that we just did the highlight of, Raelos Mazatlán, was fighting in the stands of that game as well. So Liga MX again for all of all of the quality football that we see and all what we focus on. Every time it's an international story, it's it's this, it's it's mostly and it's violence, right? It's it's not scandal. I would take scandal over violence but it's just violence. Uh, real quick, they do say that fan ID will now be fully in place apparently, match day 16 and beyond. This is one of those for me, Herc, wait and see. I feel like we've been promised a lot from Liga uh, you know, executives over the years, and we keep having the same problems, can, can so. I, can
1: I tell you why this to me, this is, this is just a little crazy, is there should be a, an insane amount of security in this stadium, I used to play for this team, on the compound, on the ground, mm-hmm. you have Elipodromo. you have an actual race racetrack, racetrack and sports book um, that the ownership group owns, You have and casino, and you have an actual stadium. And adjacent in a pyramid, if you'd like, there is the ranch, the compound of the ownership group as mm-hmm. well. It, it's all within walking distance, so it should be a very secure place. And, and it wasn't. And That same ownership group is actually one of the five owners in mm-hmm. the ownership committee of FMF, so who, let's see what's going to be done, if anything has to be done or will be done um, but I don't even know how, uh, Fan ID doesn't come into place until you get into the stadium so uh, this this is something tricky.
0: Let's see what will be done, a refrain we've heard before uh, about Mexican soccer both on and off the field, let's run it back and uh, before we get to run it back, we'll show you the Liga MX table, Rayados six points clear of America and Chivas deadlocked for that second position, again, the top four get a bye into the quarterfinals right with now. América, Chivas, and Toluca. Let's see if it lasts, Herc. Let's see if it lasts. Now let's run it back. El Three Abroad will start in net, even though you disrespect goalies on a weekly basis on this show, Herc. Memocho with a clean sheet as Salernitana won three nothing over Sassuolo. What is that? Eight or nine straight without a loss. Eight straight without a loss, that,
1: that's insane. No memo, no parties proven his worth. Next week, they face off against Napoli and Chucky Lozano. Uh, he's already got Matias Almeida wanting him for, a well,
0: AEK. Could be interesting. Salernitana 14th, seven points from the relegation zone. Speaking of Chucky Lozano, the Napoli fans, they love him. We heard that Herc a few times back in 2018.
1: Mexican to win a scudetto.
0: Chucky Lozano, Irving Lozano. Napoli clinching the Serie A crown. Santiago Jimenez scored again, his 12th of the Eredivisie campaign as Feyenoord beat Utrecht 3-1. That's 24 this season in all comps. Ties
1: Chicharito Hernandez for most goals by a Mexican in Europe uh, in debut season, in his debut season. He's one goal away from beating Chucky Lozano's record of 21 goals in all competitions. (laughs) He just turned 22 years of age like a few days ago.
0: Santi Stats, brought to you our great research team here at ESPN. There you see the uh, damaged Santiago Jimenez dominating the Eredivisie so far this season. Of course, Santiago Jimenez came from Liga MX. Liga MX on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes this week. Friday night, Juarez and Alan Sonora against Club America, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Do not miss it. From Liga MX to MLS, we Inter Miami. Lost over the weekend, one nothing against the Houston Dynamo. That is not newsworthy. Because it's the sixth straight loss for Inter Miami. What is newsworthy is a report from Alex Calabrese, a reporter out of Chicago, who's reporting that Inter Miami have reached out to Velko Panovich. Yes, Velko Panovich currently at Chivas, ex Chicago Fire, about taking over for Phil Neville. Herc Panovich from Chivas to Inter Miami. Your thoughts? So this is
1: interesting because we've seen this play before. Um, Great reporting by Alex. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is like when a Liga Yameki's player is looking to create leverage or their camp is looking to create leverage. An agent is looking to create leverage, to me, it seems. And all of a sudden, Major League Soccer is interested. Said team here is interested for Major League Soccer to create a market, to create demand to increase the price. This smells like the same thing from Velko Panovich or somebody in Velko Panovich's camp. Chivas just made a massive investment mm-hmm. uh, in Fernando Hierro, who made an investment uh, in Velko Panovich, bring him in over. Now, given that Velko Pondovich's track record at Reading, track record with the Chicago Fire wasn't a positive one, I'm sure the demand wasn't so high, and he realized, I am now doing well, in Liga MX, and I see the massive amounts of money that there are in play in Liga MX. Wait a second, Diego Coca was at Tigres for four million dollars net a year, and all of a sudden, want to create demand? Do I think there's truth to this? Not so much. Mm. Uh, I, let me let me tell you why. Are you trying to tell me that David Beckham is willing to fire his best friend, Phil Neville? hasn't won in six games because Velko Panovic has been hot for four months? Mm. Given the track record within Major League Soccer? I, I, I'm not buying it. I, there's no repercussions if they lose another four games. I mean, you're not gonna get relegated. In fact, if you go on a two-game winning streak, you'll be, what, sixth place in the East if you're Inter-Miami from 14th place. So you're well within the playoff mix. David Beckham's not going to fire his best friend. But you know what could come of this, Seb? Hmm. If you did want to replace Phil Neville, what could make you pull the trigger? Hmm. Did you happen to read that article in The Athletic that Felipe Cárdenas did? I with did. With Tata Martino. I did that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where Tata Martino goes fishing for Major League Soccer. Tata mm-hmm. Martino throws his hat back in the ring. He why? Why's that? that cast that net right there? And he starts flirting with Major League Soccer, talking about how it seduces him. That's his weakness, he mm-hmm. called it, if mm-hmm. it will. Now, if I'm David Beckham, I'm not going to get rid of my best friend for Velko Panovich. Come on. Mm-hmm. But Tata Martino? We've seen the Barcelona to Tata Martino. Messi got him there. Could he be what's missing to lure Lionel Messi to Inter Miami? He likes MLS. You saw it. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, we could show you the quote. It's right there. Yep. It's Tata Martino talking about how much he likes Major League Soccer. We know he had a good time. He says, MLS is my weakness. I like the league. The possibility of returning to MLS is always there. If you're uh. David Beckham, <laughs> do you fire your best friend for Tata Martino if it gets mm-hmm. you Phil Neville?
0: If it gets you Leo
1: Messi? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Phil Neville? Leo Messi? Yes. Listen. The I mean, I I'm sorry, I can't believe
0: that Messi going into Miami is dependent we're, on Tata Martino, we're,
1: we're great friends, Seb, but mm. if, if, if Leo Messi was my co-host and it meant firing you,
0: <laughs> you gone. <laughs> you were ready to replace me for Mao and Christina Alexandra. I took, I took a month off, man. You were ready to get rid of me. Um, listen, I, I, I credit to Felipe Carnas getting this the interview with Tata Martino. He's clearly kind of like bearing his soul uh, I would love to give a get lost here, but I feel like we've given so many get lost to Tata Martino because in this interview, he does the same thing, which he always does, which is not take responsibility and, and point blame elsewhere for his fracaso with Mexico. I think, Herc, Tata's only future is probably in MLS outside of maybe a job in Argentina. He's not getting a job in Liga MX. I don't think he's getting a job in Europe. And honestly, oh, I honestly, can, Herc, I can see him in Liga mm, mm, If you're an international team... How can you look at what Tata Martino did with Mexico and want to get anywhere near this guy? It's not that he just didn't reach expectations. He was in charge of a historic failure. MLS is the only possible landing spot for Tata, right? Uh, I don't think it's the only spot, no. And I think
1: you're being very harsh on Tata Martino.
0: Oh, you think think his stock is still high? Coming Uh, off the Mexico job. Nobody pays attention to the World Cup, I guess. High enough
1: where it's not only MLS that would want him. Boca Juniors tried getting them a week ago so obviously it's not just major league soccer you sound like a wounded fan i get it it's not just major league soccer but tell me if you can't see the possibility of course out there in your mind of of inter miami tata martino sure and Lionel messi all in the same place with david beckham
0: Sure. I mean, if the Messi connection isn't enough, his his resume, what he did at Atlanta, is 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 worthy of consideration uh, for that job as well. Real quick on on the question of Pavlović, because we didn't really get to it, is Inter Miami, in your opinion, a, a better job than Chivas? Because I think there are some ways in which you could make that argument. I think it's it's probably easier to build a team. Like you're less restricted, even though there's the financial restrictions of MLS, you don't have the only Mexican players restriction. So I think if you're trying to build a team, it's probably a better job. And if you want job stability, Herc, I think it's probably a better job. It's For not, a I don't manager, think it's a, it a, think it's a bigger job. job or a more prestigious job. I don't think it'll get you a better next job. But I think there are ways that you could argue from Pavlovic's perspective. If you were sitting in his shoes, Inter Miami could be more attractive than Chivas.
1: Let me ask you. Uh, yes. 100%. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Would you have a better chance of coaching in Europe if you did well, if you won Liga Mekis with Chivas or if you won MLS Cup with Inter Miami?
0: It's a tough question. The obvious person to consider is Almeida, but he did great in Liga Mekis and terrible in MLS. And but he's in, in Europe because of what he did with Liga, in, in Liga, Liga say, Mekis, say, not because of what he did in MLS. Let's a legit job in Europe. It's it's a tough one. I, I think MLS probably does get more eyeballs in Europe. So, but you ain't you ain't winning MLS Cup at Inter at Miami. At least it doesn't
1: Not seem this like this version of Inter Miami. Come on, yeah. Phil. I like Phil too. David, don't fire him. Just, don't fire your friend just yet.
4: Battle is the only punishment here. Now streaming FX's Shogun.
1: My master asks what do you seek here.
4: To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power.
2: That's it, come.
4: FX's Shogun,
5: now streaming on Hulu. All
0: right, uh, let's move to the National Women's Soccer League, shall we? A busy weekend. What is this? The Chan uh, Classico. San Diego Wave in uh, Angel City. San Diego, San Diego, getting their first ever win at BMO Stadium. Uh, were you there?
1: Uh, no, I was not there. Uh, it was hot. We went to the beach. Um, I got kids, man. I can't make it to everything. You by the can't way, can't make it to everything. No. By the way, the Chinclassico is a terrible name uh, uh-huh. and kind of a classico that San Diego seems to own. They've only Angel City's only won once out of the last five. The only five. Uh, it's three wins for San Diego, one tie, and one for Angel City.
0: We have 2-0 win there for San Diego over Angel City. Sophia Jacobson Jakobsen and Mackenzie Doniak. The goal scores. Portland, 2-0 win over racing Louisville. Christine Sinclair making history her 60th regular season career goal. Nice
1: little shot. In step right there, places
0: it. We got a 60. 60. 60. Look at the dummy from Crystal Dunn. Gotta love that. Uh, Portland with a win their third of the season, currently sitting atop the NWSL table as they beat uh, Racing Louisville by a final score of 2-0. 2-0. Look at that. Sophia Smith assist. What is that?
1: Four goals, four assists, and that's eight goal contributions. Couple that's of history there. right there.
0: Morgan Weaver with the second. O.L. Reign, they put up La Manita, a five spot against the Red Stars. What? Uh, Bethany Balser had a brace in this one. Uh, everybody getting in on the act, including Megan Rapino in the second half. There
1: you go. Oh, Reign uh, Balser, by the way, that's 20 goals at home in Seattle. Nobody has scored more home goals than her since she debuted in
0: 2019. Uh, Jess Fishlock with a brace as well in this game as OL Rain rolls by a final score, five to two over the Mallory Swansonless Chicago Red Stars, there's the gold. For Megan Rapino, the, uh, the fourth of the five for OL Rain in the NWSL. Look at the rest of the scores from match day four. Spirit and Dash played a scoreless draw. Gotham FC 1-0 over North Carolina. And KC Current uh, with a victory over Orlando. From the NWSL to the CONCACAF Champions League, Herc. We've got an all Liga Meki semifinal Tigres and Leon. And we got an all MLS semifinal in LAFC in Philadelphia Union. What are you picking here?
1: Oh, I found a great parlay. Uh, for this parlay to hit that pace plus 700, which is tasty, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta take Tigres for the win, and it's gotta be under one and a half, so basically a 1-0 scoreline mm-hmm. for Tigres playing at home versus León. Listen, León was flying. They were. Then they lost two Chivas, sent them back down to earth, and Tigres under new coach, Robert Dante Siboldi is very good defensively. They have yet to concede a goal. In fact, the last two games, they don't concede goals, but they also don't score many goals. A 0-0 tie versus Querétaro and a 1-0 win versus Puebla at home. They've struggled at home this season. To me, this has 1-0 written all over it. I think it'll be a 1-0 Tigres win. And honestly, at plus 700, mm-hmm. those odds are just too good for me not to take a flyer on it.
0: So this is obviously for the first leg, which is tomorrow. For the series, because I don't think we've made this prediction yet either. Do you have Tigres going through? Yes. Okay. All right. So it has got Tigres going through. No surprise. Tigres television. Well. And uh, Tigres to win an under one and a half goals, plus 700. You like those those home run swings on your parlay bets. That's uh, your second straight, plus 700. You can't find those odds? Maybe this one. Maybe this one will hit, unlike your last one. Mm. Now, my last bet, Herc, we all know did hit. So for my parlay, we're playing with house money. Now I'm focused in on the Philadelphia Union and LAFC. First leg Wednesday night at Subaru Park in Chester. Now, I'm already kind of pod committed to Philadelphia here. Everybody knows that we had a big $100 bet on the show. Who's going to go through? We had a $200 so,
1: bet. Right. What was the other
0: part of it? The Steve Chirondolo and uh, Jim Curtin. Who will go to Europe first, right? So I'm already committed to Philadelphia Union here, so I'm going to double down on that. Union to win or draw, right? So I got a lot of wiggle room there. And then first leg, come on. Everybody's going to take it easy. Nobody wants to get eliminated. Everybody wants to survive to the second leg. I love a first leg under two and a half. So you combine those. It's only plus 110, Herc. I know it's not plus 700. But remember, I had a three-game parlay last week that paid out at plus one fifty-seven. So we got a little to play with here. Yeah, it's too we're much gonna, And We're going to double it. We're going to double it. A little conservative play there. How about that?
1: Double. I like that it's double chance. You increase your odds, mm-hmm. right?
0: And you like the under? You think you like I the under for the first like leg? I do like the
1: under just because these two teams have shown that there's fireworks when they yep. meet up. I actually do expect it to be pretty entertaining. Uh, home away, doesn't matter where the game is. I think it'll be an entertaining series nonetheless. And, and listen, I said it was a pick 'em. I said it was a, one of those uh, in this matchup, in this series, I say who should advance. But I'm feeling pretty confident right now um, with, with the LAFC. On paper, right now, they're the team in a better moment.
0: Tigres Leon Tuesday, Philly, LAFC on Wednesday. He's Herc, I'm Seth. Thanks for watching. Actually, See New England's pretty good on right Thursday. Now.